0: This is for report 73 on the creator economy. Let's start by talking about why this topic matters. The ability to create and distribute work is being democratized. Firms are shrinking and creators are able to capture more value. We are on this path of going from hundreds or thousands of TV shows, newspapers, and radio stations to potentially billions. The problem is that traditionally barriers to entry to create and share work have led to homogenous content products and experiences. And the capital requirements and transaction costs have led to larger firms where most of the value actually accrues to capital providers rather than creatives. The solution is that the commoditized code, i.e. tools like no-code tools, democratized distribution from platforms such as Twitter and YouTube and Facebook means that creators can focus on what they do best instead of infrastructure and undifferentiated tasks, such as accounting. Web3 even promises this idea of user owned networks. So instead of these Web2 platforms, such as Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter, creators will be able to own the means of distribution as well as creation. In the report, you can check out examples of creators, as well as the niche or niches that they focus on, tools that are used to create and also monetize work as well as platforms that are used to distribute content and build a top of funnel for creators. The first prediction is that tools to create and share content will become more accessible, and we see this where merch is often designed in tools such as Figma and then sold to thousands or hundreds of thousands of people via services like Printful. You also see movies that are filmed on smartphones and then seen by millions on YouTube as well as newsletters that are written on laptops or smartphones and then read by millions via email, or songs that are recorded on laptops and then listened to by millions on platforms such as Spotify. The reach of newer mediums will also leapfrog the reach of these older mediums. Just a few examples where some of the top YouTube creators have more viewers than hosts of some TV shows. Top newsletters often have more readers than some newspapers, as well as podcasts such as Joe Rogan, they may have more listeners than some radio shows. Gatekeepers are also losing power, where we can look to examples like Andy Weir, who wrote The Martian, or Issa Rae, who released the web series Awkward Black Girl before she struck a deal with HBO. Likewise, Andy Weir self-published The Martian before he struck a deal with Crown Publishing. And... These gatekeepers can help creators, but they can no longer stop creators from thriving because we have these open platforms for distribution. User owned networks will also become more common where creators can't own platforms that they are helping build. And again, talking about web two platforms, such as YouTube, Twitter, and Facebook, they are often controlled by founders, early employees, and those who have access to invest 10 to 12 years before they IPO before anyone else has the right to invest, you can check out the essay from Chris Dixon, Why Decentralization Matters, which we'll link to where this becomes less of a moral argument and more of a requirement to bootstrap and boost network adoption, and it will also lead to this world of weak network effects and vampire attacks that we often talk about using SushiSwap and Uniswap as examples. We'll also see more platforms strike flagship exclusives with creators. Joe Rogan and Spotify is a classic example of this where Spotify seeks to corner the content and become a single source of podcast episodes from Joe Rogan. And creators may be willing to strike these deals and trade that optionality and ownership off because they're being offered more money than they may believe that they can make in the time period that they're offering these exclusives. And these deals may resemble quote unquote strategic deals that you may see in the M&A space because they may not be made on the basis of any fundamentals or financials, but based on the potential or upside that they may see either in the value that that creator holds to the platform or the fact that their competitor doesn't get the right to corner that asset, that creative asset that these platforms may offer. We'll also see more creators do airdrops for their early fans, and RAC is an example of this, where he's done physical and digital airdrops using data from Bandcamp and ticket sales to figure out who his early fans were. We're also seeing this with NFT collections such as Cryptotes, where owners have the right to mint socks, flies, chose, and soon creature totes by virtue of the fact that they own cryptos, And you're using data once again to find these people who are really bought into this mission or vision. We'll also see more ways to monetize. NFTs are a relatively new way where this idea of digital scarcity is being enabled through NFTs, which allow you to prove ownership of a digital asset. Another monetization strategy still focused on NFTs comes from the recurring revenue that creators are able to program via secondary sales, looking at things such as royalties. Some more examples, audience tips enabled by platforms such as Twitch, Twitter, and YouTube, or in-person experiences where podcast hosts are often going on the road to offer their listeners and their audience a more intimate experience, or paid SMS where platforms such as Subtext, they're allowing creators to chat with their audience using a subscription model. Or merch, where every so often Jack Butcher is doing merch drops via his Twitter profile or courses from people such as Brian Dean focused on the SEO space. Product placement is another example, looking at Drake and deals that he struck with Mercedes and Nike. Or asset appreciation, where we'll go into this deeper later, but Logan Paul, who's buying into Pokemon cards and then repopularizing those and bringing those to the forefront. Or creators that are doing deals for equity, such as Joe Rogan and the deal that he struck with Aubrey, the founder of On It, We could also look to shout outs and platforms like Cameo, as well as creators like Cedric the Entertainer or Comedian, where he does paid shout outs on that platform, or consulting, where you have Vic Dougal, who's built an audience in the business and SaaS space, and then he does consulting gigs to monetize that audience, or creators such as Arvid Call, who offers tweets for free and does interviews, but also sells books or. You look at the YouTube channels that are monetized via direct support models using Patreon or affiliates where James Clear has done book summaries and book reviews and he monetizes those with affiliate programs such as Amazon Associates. We'll also see more virtual influencers have personal brands built around them. You can look to characters like Lil Michaela, or single NFTs within larger collections such as Jenkins the valet from the Bored Ape Yacht Club or even rap group duos, such as cryptos.show, which we'll link to in the report. We'll also see creators form collectives to cross-promote and create content together. You can look to Maker Mafia, such as Zero to One, or Hype Houses, such as The Station. And DAOs make it easier if these creators want to share ownership and govern a community asset together. We'll also see more influencers endorse projects without being directly paid by creators. And the... Reward is coming in the effect of asset appreciation. You have Heaton Shaw, who popularized Lazy Lions, Jack Butcher, who popularized Cryptos, and also Logan Paul, again, who brought Pokemon cards back to the forefront after he bought into the project. And now he's seeing those underlying assets appreciate. You'll also see more creators opt for equity over sponsorships, where we've already talked about Joe Rogan and On It, but there's also Rick Ross and his Wingstop locations. As well as Jay Z and or David Dobrik in his app Dispo, or Ryan Reynolds in Aviation general we'll also see the costs continue to drop to create and distribute content. Where we can look to Jake Tran, who drops high-quality documentaries twice a week for his 600,000 subscribers, and this is all enabled by these low-cost tools, which allow you to create high-quality content as well as the open nature of platforms such as YouTube. Onto to opportunities where the first opportunity is to build a free top of funnel. And once you have this attention and affinity built, monetization becomes easy where we talk about it often, but trust is hard to build and easy to monetize. Bilal is an example of this, where he podcasts and then monetizes on the back end of that. Jack Butcher is another example where he tweets and we've talked about how he does merch drops. Johnny Harris is another example where he makes videos on YouTube, as well as Kevin Whelan, who writes free newsletters. Once you have this affinity and attention built, you can look to building a product ladder. And once you provide value, again, it becomes easy to capture some of that value. And a product ladder consists of a series of offers that range from less expensive offers to more expensive offers. And the idea is that these higher tier offers become easier to sell once you deliver on promises in the lower tier offers. Flavio is a great example of this, where he has a free blog, inexpensive books, slightly more expensive courses, and then finally more expensive coding boot camps. And you can look at this as creating a do-it-yourself offer, done-with-you offer, and then a done-for-you offer. You could also look at building proprietary distribution, where word of mouth is a trusted source of distribution is also sustainable. But some creators want to rely on paid acquisition or choose to rely on paid acquisition The downside here is that you don't control your customer acquisition costs or your unit economics. So it's important to realize that when you're introducing paid acquisition to uh, back that up with some proprietary distribution channels that are more organic. It's also important to hedge platform risk where there's this idea that platform risk can be avoided, but it actually can't. Platform risk exists on a spectrum, but there are things that you can do to hedge it. Just to go deeper into this idea, we can look at newsletters, which depend on mostly Gmail clients. And if most of your newsletters are going to the spam folder, well, hey, you have platform risks stemming from Gmail, as well as podcasts that depend on directories such as Apple and Listen Notes. But what you can do is to go cross platform to try to diversify some of this risk away. But pretty much any business, they depend on local and national governments, which are essentially platforms themselves. So don't ignore platform risk, but do try to hedge it. And you can lean to these uh, sources or mediums that have less platform risk, such as newsletters and podcasts. As a creator, you can also look at building a team where there's this idea that being a creator and getting help are mutually exclusive, but they aren't. Where Tim Ferriss and Marie Poulin, they're creators, but they also have teams. And what their team allows them to do is to focus on their highest point of leverage, where they try to eliminate, automate, outsource, or delegate everything else. We could also look at, as a creator, sticking to a schedule where you're seeking to build habits for yourself, as well as your audience. And Ira Glass talks about this idea of using volume to allow your talent to catch up with your taste. And it's hard to find a newsletter or YouTube channel or podcast that doesn't stick to this idea of a schedule. And that allows quality to again catch up with their taste via volume. You could also look at repurposing content, turning your newsletter into tweets like we do at Trends or turning your videos into podcasts like they do at Nomad Capitalist, or turning your blog posts into books, which Derek Sivers has done several times. You could also look at building flywheels where you're looking for reinforcing revenue streams. And we'll link to an example of Issa Ray's flywheel that she's built. And you're thinking about systems design where you don't want to create conflict. In terms of your revenue streams, you may run into problems where you have sponsors or advertisers whose interests conflict with that of your audience who are supporting you directly. So it becomes important to iterate and to be intentional about how you design this flywheel to make sure that you avoid such conflict. You could also look at using print-on-demand services such as Printful to sell merch, and you can do this without inventory risk or marginal cost where physical products start to take on the attribute of digital products in this way. You could also look at bringing content to new mediums. The Founders Podcast, one of my favorite podcasts, actually shares stories from business biographies. Two Minute Papers, a YouTube channel, is another example where the host popularizes ideas from cutting-edge research papers. Or even looking at Nat Eliason, where he's summarizing books and bringing that content to people who may not have the time or interest in reading the full book. You could also look at collaborating and cross-promoting with other creators where you're sharing audiences and as categories of one and unique creators, you are not so much worried about competition or audience cannibalization. That really isn't a concern and Cody Sanchez does a great job at this, of finding creators where there's audience overlap and then cross-promoting with those creators. You could also look at becoming a multi creator where you're building deeper relationships with your audiences by engaging different senses that they have. Arvid Call is a great example of this, where his audience can hear him on podcasts or read his words in books or read his tweets. Some creators also go as far as you being able to see them via video. And this all creates a higher fidelity experience where the audience feels closer to you. We could also touch on risks such as platform risk, where you're at the whim of these quote unquote, trusted third parties. And when you're at the whim of these third parties, you can be deplatformed or face outages such as the recent outage with Facebook or have terms arbitrarily changed on you or unheard complaints if you don't like the direction or roadmap that a tool or platform is headed down. We could also talk about customer concentration where most of your revenue comes from one or a few sources or a few parties, and it's easier to disrupt you or cancel you when you have a high concentration of revenue sources in this way. We could also look at lost trust where you're trading your long-term reputation for short-term profit. So it's important not to endorse brands just for money that you don't believe in. And some celebrities ran into trouble here where trust was destroyed amid the ICO craze a few years back. We could also look to switching costs. You have some creators that are blindly applying this portfolio of small bet strategy without thinking about context or when it makes sense to do this. And if you don't know what you're going to build, Sure, do 12 startups in 12 months, explore. But once you're done exploring and you find something that may work, it's important to exploit and double down. And then once you have this wealth built up, they say concentrate to build wealth, diversify to preserve it, then you can re-diversify because you're trying to lower risk. But if you have nothing to lose already, why are you trying to lower your risk? Because you're also lowering your return. So it's just important to be mindful of the context that goes with this advice and to not blindly apply any advice, including that, which comes from me. We could also look at the threat of commoditization where you have platforms such as Uber and Instacart, where their job is to commoditize supply, not for any ill intent, but they want to provide a seamless experience to the demand side of their marketplace. And this means that you become commoditized as a driver or the delivery person for Instacart. And what commoditization does to margins is that it prevents you from doing value-based pricing, and your prices are more so driven by competition. Again, because as supply, you're undifferentiated. We could also look at the threat of burnout for creators, where this is chronic exhaustion, and that's the flip side of schedules. If you commit to a schedule that's unsustainable, you face the threat of burnout. So it's important to make sure that your schedule is sustainable, and/or that you preserve the right to renegotiate that commitment if it ever becomes unsustainable. And lastly, we could look at the threat of compromised self-worth, where especially with the emergence of creator coins, where you have these live price feeds and market caps, you could run into psychological problems with creators where their worth feels like this tied to their personal brand or the perception that others may have of them, or this live price feed that's now tied closely uh, to this persona that they built. So, what you may want to do is completely avoid this idea of a creator coin and instead attach that if you want to launch one to a business or a project that you're working on so that you have some level of distance between your identity and this thing that you're building. On to key lessons, where the first key lesson is that audience equals optionality. And again, if you build trust, it becomes easy to then monetize that trust. So, just focus on providing value. It's also important to pick what you can stick with, where you'll need to iterate to find something that works you'll also need to allow compounding to work for you where most of the benefits of compounding come towards the end. So if you're constantly switching between projects and you're not able to stick with something, you don't reap most of those rewards. It's also important to be a non-fungible person where we talk about this idea of non-fungible tokens being unique. It's also important to be a unique person because the more unique you are, the more value that you're able to capture. And competition doesn't drive your worth or your prices as much. And we say it a lot, but code is interchangeable, but creators, especially if they strive and embrace their uniqueness, they are not interchangeable. We could also look at the idea that commoditized code and democratized distribution is leading to smaller firms because creators are able to throw these jobs that are undifferentiated over the wall. And we talked about this idea a lot in million dollar one person businesses, but it's also important to look at small teams that have been able to build billion dollar companies such as Instagram or WhatsApp, because they're leveraging the APIs and capabilities of these other companies that came before them and they're able to focus on what they're uniquely suited to do. We could also look at the importance of applying the portfolio of small bet strategy when it makes sense in the beginning and in the end of your journey. But it's important to once again, once you explore to then exploit and don't apply that strategy in the middle unless you're extremely risk averse and you understand opportunity cost, switching costs and the fact that this very risk averse strategy also lowers your returns and makes your success, if it works out, take much longer than it otherwise would because you're capping your upside. One to haters where the first hater says that the creator economy is a buzzword and buzzwords are memes and they persist because they're descriptive and they simply work. Another hater says that decentralization has downsides and we see it in every report, but everything has downsides. There's no free lunch. One downside of decentralization comes in the form of slow decision-making. And this is why you see some projects and some teams push for progressive decentralization because they need to move fast to iterate. What we may see in this world of DAOs and decentralized protocols is around representative governance where to make decisions fast. What we have is a representative model where we may cede some of our control uh, to a person that we entrust with that decision-making power who can make decisions quickly. While we still reserve the right uh to elect and re that person or people who represents those interests. I'd like to thank everyone who helped out with this report, including Ethan from Tools for Management, Kevin, Jeremy from Spiffy, Stewart from Podcast Hall, Mike from Return on Security, Shayla from Primo Stats, Mike from Subtext, Rick from Crag Angel Group, Michael from MPA Fine Art, and Yardi from A4E. This wraps it up for the report on the creator economy. Thanks for listening, and I'm looking forward to your thoughts.